Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Reverend Matt Miofsky. Matt is the founding and lead pastor of The Gathering, a multi-site church based in St. Louis, Missouri. This is part two of my conversation with Matt, so if you'd like to hear his thoughts on the relationship between preaching and church growth, be sure to check out our last episode. Today, our conversation turns towards assessing success and failure in preaching. Well, Matt, uh, I invited you to be on the show because we met at an event and you're a pastor that I've admired from a distance. But in preparing for it, I saw that last fall you wrote a book about failure. And so I thought this might offer an opportunity to ask a question that I have yet to ask anybody on the podcast. Uh, and, and it re- revolves around failure in ministry or in preaching. Um, how do mm-hmm. you assess whether a sermon was a success or failure? Or is that even something that uh, y- you think about? I do. There's a couple things that I... Uh, that. Uh, so I, I preview my sermon to a small group of staff and, and lay people every week on Thursday. I preach my sermon and they give me feedback. And so one of the things I look for is the very first question I ask them is I say, if you walked out of church and someone said, hey, I missed church, what was the sermon about? What would you say? And they, and they tell me, each of them give me an answer. There's usually five people. So I mean, these are practical things I'm offering, Dan. Uh, but one practical thing is, like, did they say what I wanted to have said? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, and and if there's and do do have they all basically gotten the message or was and that usually tells me, you know, Matt, were you clear? H- had you thought through this well enough that you communicated what you thought you were communicating or intended to communicate? Or were you a little muddy? Were you a little all over the map? And I can usually tell that if, if I get five really different answers or, well, I heard this, well, I heard this t- completely other thing. If I get five answers that are, you know, all pretty much in the ballpark, I think, okay, I've succeeded. I mean, there's, there's a little measure of success there. Yeah. So that's, that's small, but that's, I think, clarity in communicating. I joke around with the congregants, but it's really not a joke that they don't have to agree with me every single weekend. In fact, they're not going to, but my one, one down and dirty goal I have is when they hit the steps to leave the church, I want them to look over if they came with somebody, I want them to look over and say, huh, no, that was interesting. What did you think about this or that, that it generated a conversation, a question, it, 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 it was something worth thinking about afterwards. I, I've been part of so many sermons that I can't tell you what it was about by the time it was over. By the time the sermon was over, by the time <laughs> the worship service was yeah. over, I forgot what we even, I mean, I'm just ready to get out of there. And I think for so long, I think for a lot of people, church is sort of like that. The sermon is something to sort of get through instead of a, a, something that generates conversation. So, if my sermon generates interesting conversation that helps people wrestle with their faith, I, I think that's good. If they have to go to lunch afterwards and, and they actually talk about my message, that's success to me. If it's something they actually want to share with a friend or it's worth, it makes it into their week somehow. To me, those are all signs of success. 
That's great. And you shared before uh, this quote, when you succeed, it goes to your head. When you fail, it goes to your heart. And I was wondering if you could uh, maybe connect that quote to the act of preaching um, and, and maybe to the responsibility we have to sometimes say things that um, uh, we feel led to say by God, but that our congregation might not like. And so it may lead yeah. to um, people leaving or people being upset. And, and, and it may be one of those ways that it, the sermon doesn't feel like a success in our heart. And I'll just ask you about that quote and have you expand on it. So full disclosure, Tim Keller at Redeemer Presbyterian first said that in respect to something different, not in, about preaching. And so I, I was quoting him when I said that. I, I, I stole that quote. But what I, what I like about that quote, and I think it's important for pastors actually in a lot of areas, I think, you know, when we succeed, it goes to our head, basically means when we do something well, we begin to think we're, we're good. Like, and, and then we can, we can have the mistaken notion that if we're good in one thing, we're good at, at everything. And we, and humility becomes a problem. Yeah. When we fail, so when we succeed, it goes to our head. We can get puffed up as scripture would put it. When we fail, it goes to our heart. I means that when we fail, instead of saying like, wow, that didn't work, and here's why, and here's what I can learn from it, we, instead of remembering we failed at this one thing, we begin to think that we're a failure. Mm. So when I say it goes to our heart, all, I see pastors who take, I mean, if, if something happens in their ministry and it just doesn't work, all of a sudden it's not, man, that didn't work. It be, it, it, I wonder what I can do different next time. It becomes, maybe I'm not meant for this. Maybe I'm not called by God. Maybe I, maybe I need to be doing something different. I mean, it goes right to the heart of who yeah. we are in yeah. our identity. Like suddenly we are a failure. So <clears throat> what I was getting at with that quote is I think we have to be careful not to let a success or a failure overly define who we are. So in regards to preaching, on the humility side, one of the things I remember is However great that sermon that got 50,000 views was, I mean, my task is this week, I have to, <laughs> I have to come up with, with a, a, a word to share with people. And I can't rest on any past sort of accomplishment or past. I mean, preaching's brutal sometimes. It's sort of like, what have you done for me this week? I mean, they don't care if you preached a good sermon nine months ago. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an ongoing activity. So I don't know that anybody's ever truly mastered it. So you can succeed in a sermon, but be careful thinking that, you know what, I've got this preaching thing down and therefore (laughs) I don't need to invest as much time in it, or I don't need to approach it with the same amount of humility. Um, that's dangerous. Similarly on the failure side, man, I have preached some duds, probably more duds than most people have preached. And uh, it's okay. It is okay that a sermon didn't work. It's okay to say that it didn't work. I think it it is okay to not have to, (laughs) to, we need to be able to receive that kind of feedback sometimes and get back up and say, what can I learn from it? And, and I have another chance this weekend. I'm going to try to do it differently and better. I think that's healthy. Um, but don't, 
don't think that because you preached a bad sermon or you're in a slump, you know, it's like a baseball metaphor. You know, I get yeah. in seasons where it just feels hard. Um, every week is a new opportunity. I just want to say it is, it's crazy how fast, uh, a perceived preaching success can go to your head. I uh, have had uh, to preach a sermon more than once in a morning and you feel like you knock it out of the park, you know, the first time. And then you, you walk into the next service, like these people don't even know what's coming at them. And then, and then that kind of pride gets in the way or you lose your focus or, uh, or something. And then it completely falls flat, even just a second time or third time in the morning. Or, or, you know, to use a, I see, or I see pastors, who spend less time with their preaching as they get as they do this longer mm. because they the perception is I you know I've gotten better at this I know what I'm doing I think that's a mistake I don't I don't preaching is no easier for me now than it was 12 years ago it's not any uh, I don't complete it any uh, faster than I did um, I I do think that I'm I think I'm better at it. But to, to ever rest on that as a reason not to do the pre- preparation and the work, it's sort of like, again, I'll use a sports metaphor like baseball. I mean, a baseball player never says, you know, I got hitting down. I'm good at hit. I don't need <laughs> yeah. to really mess with hitting anymore. I mean, as long as they're playing baseball, they're, they're trying to become a better hitter or a better pitcher or a better, you know, they're constantly yeah. uh, practicing. Uh, they never arrive. Well, one of the ways that that the effects or consequences of preaching can go to our, our head is if we are are kind of on a roll preaching and attendance goes up. And certainly, one of the ways it can maybe go to our heart and make us feel like a failure is if we're preaching maybe something that's a little bit harder for the congregation to stomach, and people get upset, or perhaps people even leave. Um, yeah. And whether you're you're touching on um, just a general topic that's difficult, uh, or I mean, you you're in St. Louis, and so you experience experienced the unrest in Ferguson and really a disruption of your community that was very, very uh, emotional for people on all sides of things. Uh, do you have any words of encouragement uh, or advice for pastors that feel like God is leading them to say something, um, but they're not quite sure how their congregation or community might take it? Yeah. So, Dan, let me offer a couple, let me offer a couple things on this. The first is going to be a hard word for pastors before I get to something that is more encouraging. And the hard word for pastors is, I think we have to be careful of confusing a few different things here. If there's sustained decline in attendance in our churches, we ought to care about that. Yeah. And we can't, and I do hear this sometimes, we can't use the excuse, well, I'm preaching the hard gospel truth <laughs> and people just don't. You know, we're we're in a culture of people who just don't want to hear the hard truth. And therefore, you know, Jesus, I hear this all the time, Jesus ended his ministry with nobody. You know, it was, everybody left. And so, well, that's not true. I mean, we have a book of Acts, and they seem to forget that part of the book. But I think we need to be careful not to justify decline by convincing ourselves that, well, it's just, I'm just preaching the, the gospel and, and I'm in a place where people just don't want to hear the hard truth. And the church down the street that's growing, they're just serving up, you know, red meat that people want to hear. And that's why it's growing. I still hear that characterization. I think it, it's, that's a dangerous myth to tell ourselves. Yeah. So be careful. Sustained decline is really hard. And that, ha- that happens in places. And sometimes it is, 
it is bigger than something we can control with our preaching. And, but we should always care. We should always care. If a church is in decline, we should always want to arrest that decline, I think, and figure out a way to invite and share the gospel with more and more people. So I, that's just a basic assumption I make. And so I don't want to use, I, I will hear people use preaching the, the hard truth as a reason. Now, I think what you're getting at is sort of more, uh, more acute. There, there are instances in our ministry where we feel called to preach something difficult, knowing that some people are going to get mad at that. Yeah. And potentially those people could leave over it. And I don't think that has as much to do with decline. Or We don't know in the end if our church will grow or decline because of that. What we do know is there'll be these, these certain people that will get mad. Yeah. And there I would say um, there's, there's a lot of wisdom that goes into to when, we, when and how we preach those controversial topics. And, I mean, I could give a whole hour. I do give like a whole hour talk on this, but really quickly I would just say um, relationship is essential. You know, you have, remember, they have to believe in you before they're going to believe what you have to say. And that is doubly true if you're saying something that's really hard yeah. or that is challenging to them. So the more time and energy you put into building an authentic relationship with people, the more they will allow you to push them and to even preach to them something that they disagree with. So I'm not telling pastors what to do there, but to be encouraged, the, the more you build relationships with people, the, the more freedom you'll have to challenge them. That, that comes with re- relationship yeah. and, and comes with time, you know? And so, and so be wise about when you choose to, to preach certain things. Secondly, I mean, I've, uh, sometimes things happen that we feel compelled to address and to talk about. And when I'm preaching, let's say it's racism or l- let's say it's, uh, I don't know, something political or, uh, same-sex relationships or, or whatever might be controversial in your setting. Um, what I try to do is I try to imagine what this sermon is going to sound like to someone who vehemently disagrees with me. And then I try to be as charitable as I possibly can be to that person's thoughts and opinions. And then, and then preach with that in mind as if I've understood where they come from, but I want to, I want to help them to see maybe this in a different way, instead of sort of seeing those people as the adversary that we have to speak out against or try to beat in a, you know, kind of a sermonic argument. So I I try to be really charitable to the people that disagree with me because I oftentimes, if they, if they think that I've at least heard and understood them, but I just see it differently, they're a lot more willing to listen to me. Yeah. Than if, than if I, if they think I have mischaracterized and oversimplified their position, created a straw man and then just knocked it down. So I actually we we grow when I preach hard topics. So I think the idea that hard topics and people leaving or a church declining go hand in hand is something of a myth. Have I had people, I've certainly had people leave. You know, when I preached that sermon that you're referring to that was on YouTube, well, I had several people leave, including our largest giver. Some of those hits you just have to take. I mean, 
be encouraged. Sometimes those kinds of things are going to happen. But overall, that message led to growth in our church. So, again, I don't think those two things are always go hand in hand. Our challenge, I think, is actually how do we preach hard and controversial topics in a way that is compelling to people, that people can hear, yeah. that people want to hear, that people want to share with others. So, yeah, absolutely. That that's all. That's all great stuff. Thanks, Matt. Well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests, and the first one is, what is one of your favorite or most challenging preaching experiences? Uh, my most challenging—I had to preach at a college one time where chapel attendance was mandatory, <laughs> so they, they had to—you know—they had to get something like 10 chapel services in in a year, and they invited me to preach at the end of the semester when all the people who had put off going to chapel— they had to go to fulfill the requirement. Yeah. So here I am standing in front of 300 some odd students who absolutely don't want to be there. They have to be there. Arms crossed. They're slunched, you know, slouched back in the pew of this place. And I stand up and I look out at them and talk about just an energy suck. I'm yeah. thinking, oh my Lord, here I am. What am I going to say? and how am I going to engage these people? It still stands out as one of the hardest preaching experiences I ever had. <laughs> That's cool. Uh, do you prefer preaching Christmas Eve or Easter? Uh, for me, they're very different experiences. Christmas Eve is the one time a year where we all come together, all of our sites come together, and, and we worship one time. So I preach one time to thousands of people. Christmas Eve is the exact opposite. We do it in all of our spaces, and we have 16, like this year we had, I think, 16 worship services. And on Christmas Eve, we had 12 of them. Four of them were early. So I preached 12 different times. (laughs) So uh, they're very different experiences for me. I think... I still think there's nothing quite like Christmas Eve. I love the moment that it's one of the few moments left in culture where the culture still sort of slows down and opens up space for us to share a word about God that can uniquely be heard at that time when it won't be heard the day before the day after. But there's a little space that opens up on Christmas Eve where people are a little bit receptive maybe to, to us saying something uh, about God that could touch them. So I think Christmas Eve is a really unique opportunity to speak to people. Who have been some of the most impactful preachers or non-preacher communicators in your life and why? You know, some of them aren't, fa- you know, aren't famous or well-known people. I had a Catholic priest. I, I, was, I went to a Catholic church in college. And I went, to, and there was a Catholic priest there who just put so much energy and insight into his preaching that I, I was inspired by it. It was the first time I'd really met a preacher that I could tell they really worked at this. It wasn't just they didn't just wake up and jot down an idea or stand up and and uh, submit me to their kind of uh, you know rambling or something like that. I mean, this was a this was a guy that was really inspiring to me. So um, he still stands out. I, I'm interested in any time communicators get up and speak. So like, for example, I've been, I don't, inspired is not the right word, but I've really paid attention. Like just take presidential speech, for example. 
Um, it's become much more casual. Well, certainly under this president, it's become something totally different. But, uh, I, you know, starting with probably as far back as like Bill Clinton, th- th- there was a folksiness, a-, a casualness to the way he spoke. Um, George Bush, George W. Bush had kind of his own version of that. Even Obama had a version of that. So I, th- I find that interesting to see kind of who are the people that others are listening to. Yeah. And why, why are they effective? I mean, just think about like Clinton, Obama, and George W. Bush. They were all effective, so why? I think that's interesting to study. There's something to that. Uh, I, I, comedians are interesting to me because I think they're the closest thing to preachers, probably. They have a microphone and a stage, and yeah. they have to figure it out for 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes. And a lot of it is sort of observational. It's like, here's life or here's something I've seen. I'm trying to apply it or connect it to something that you see in an effort to make you laugh. And I think it's very similar to what we do. Like, here's the gospel. Here's life. Let me connect these in a way that, like, sparks something in your heart. Uh, maybe it's laughter. Maybe it's tears. Maybe it's challenge or conviction. But I, I, I think comedians are, are very helpful to me to kind of watch how they how they do what they do. So, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think they really are so close to what we do. My personal favorite is Mike Birbiglia, and uh, yeah. he is as much a storyteller as he is a comedian. And I've always said, if I could preach one sermon as well as he does one of his one hour specials, I might retire. Like I really might. Yeah. It might be good. Yeah. And, and I'm friends with some comedians. You know, I, I also remind preachers that what we do is, is exactly opposite of what they do. Meaning, they get to they get to sort of hone an act over time, yeah. and so they do the same act to a different group of people, and they might do the same act for a year with different crowds and perfect it over time. We do the opposite. We have the same crowd, and we have to come up with a different act every week. So it's not an exact analogy, but it is, but there is some. So don't get discouraged when you watch a comedian just kill it, and you're like, why can't I do that every week in my sermon? Well, if you had to preach one great sermon and figure that out for a year, um, that's why I'm so great when I get invited to go speak, because I have uh, you know a couple sermons that I know I can do well. Yeah. I'm not near as great every weekend in my church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Someone sees you like at a conference or a training event, and then they right. subscribe to your podcast, and they're like, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah, right. What happened to that guy? Yeah. Uh, well, what books, podcasts, or other resources might you suggest our audience check out? For my preaching... I really like to read a diverse, I'm constantly reading uh, all sorts of diverse things because I find that over time, the hardest thing for me is like, if my well runs dry, so to speak, then I really can bottom out as a preacher. So I have to like, for me, I have to keep a lot of different things coming into my mind. So what does that mean? Well, I, I, you know, I read historical fiction. I read, I read a lot of nonfiction. Like right now I'm reading a book about the Lewis and Clark expedition, which is fascinating because there's all sorts of analogies and metaphors that I can work into my preaching about the, you know, they had to prepare for a journey and they literally had no idea where they were going, where, when it would end, how long it would take. And they had to prepare for that. So what did that mean? That's interesting. I read the Harvard Business Review. It's not only helpful as a leadership thing, but it's, it's got all sorts of interesting stories that end up informing uh, ideas that I have. Um, recently, I, you know, I read biographies a lot because I, 
you know, I, like let's say the last biography I read was on Grant, because uh, it was written by the you know, guy who wrote Hamilton. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think any time you hear somebody's story from beginning to end, it, it causes me to think about the human story and what are some things that we all have in common with that. It can bring out themes. So I probably have a pretty weird and diverse list of things that I. I read, I listen to other good preachers, you know, so listen to some preachers, try not to be too judgmental about it. You know, over time, I've listened to all sorts of different things. Really early in my ministry, Erwin McManus, I would listen to him and I was like, wow, I never heard people do what Erwin McManus did. And, uh, you know, so I thought that was cool, you know, listen to Adam Hamilton throughout the years. And I know he's inspired a lot of Methodists. Some of my friends who are good preachers, I'll, I'll listen to them. Jacob Armstrong is a friend of mine in Nashville that I think highly of. Olu Brown in Atlanta, guys worth listening to. A friend Laura in Texas that I'll listen to. So I think not everybody has to be, you know, a big time, you know, mega church preacher. There's good preaching happening all over the place. So, you know, yeah. expose yourself to preaching. Yeah. It's amazing the number of pastors who don't spend any time listening to others preach. Yeah, that's true. And lastly, if folks want to get in touch and say hi, or if they just want to follow your work, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. I mean, they can hit me up on any social media, I'm at M. Miofsky on Twitter, uh, and the same on Instagram, and they can hit me up on Facebook, Matt Miofsky on Facebook. So follow me on Facebook, find me on Instagram, find me on Twitter. The church website is gatheringnow.org, and so all that's on our website. And they can download our podcast on iTunes or whatever their favorite app is for podcasting. Awesome, Matt. Well, thank you so much for all of your time today, sharing your wisdom and experiences with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.